Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, it's Mandy, I'm Gav, I'm Alex, I'm Dave, I'm Austin, I'm Steve. Oh, well done Steve, came in at the right time. I've been here before. <laughs> you remembered your name. <laughs> oh yeah, that is a struggle. And just like Mandy, we're full of drugs and nudity. I wish. <laughs> uh, it didn't have a tagline, so I thought I'll just be honest for once this week. I was going to say, that can't be the tagline. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your chainsaws because we're about to have a, I don't know, a good time, I suppose. <laughs> you just have a good time with chainsaws. Uh, well, probably that guy that Nicolas Cage fights towards the end of the film. Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of the hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained, including a quiz, a caption contest, impressions, xylophone playing, sound effects, and a lot of banter. So stay tuned. Now, this week's film on trial, as I said before, is Mandy. It's the most accurate one yet. It's really apt. Really succinctly put the entire plot of the film down in sound effects. I know that's pretty much the. the, We don't have to read the synopsis out now, do we? Okay, so just. I think I know where I'm going to put it. Now, just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode, so if you haven't seen the film yet, you can either listen to this episode after you've watched it, it's on the Sky Go app at the moment, or you can buy it on um, Amazon Prime. Or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to you by me, which we will highlight in the comments section below. Now, before we go on, let us talk about last week's trial. It was yesterday. Uh, I don't have a Beatles sound effect. Ozzy, what did you do last week? Pretended to be Paul McCartney badly. I mean, that that sounds great. (laughs) I think you should do that again. And I said to John... (laughs) We're going to have to stop playing these tunes because they're not very good. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Paul McCartney. <laughs> uh, okay, right, Dave, you judged that trial and you deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. You've since gone away and paid to watch the film in the cinema. Uh, did you make the right call or not? Uh, I think I did, yeah. I th- I, there's a lot of people that are going to go see this film and they're going to love it. Beatles have a lot of appeal. Richard Curtis, for some reason, has a lot of appeal. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that will genuinely enjoy this film. But it just wasn't my cup of tea. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, it's it's in the right place. But um, I think there will be a lot of people out there that like it. Yeah, I, I think if you like Richard Curtis, go and watch this film. If you like Danny Boyle, don't go and watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, before we go on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for Alex's Film Feels. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't think we've done this one before. Nicolas Cage in this film has some pretty serious meltdowns and it just, you know, got me thinking what what are his best meltdowns in any film ever? Anyone got anyone got anything that springs to mind? I mean, there's where, quite a few. Yeah, where do you begin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I probably say Wicker Man is up yeah, there. It's, classic. Classic. it's just, just the dialogue in that scene, you know, where he's about to be sacrificed. It's just like, killing me won't bring back your honey. <laughs> sacrifice to appease the bees, I guess. <laughs> do you think he's in on the joke though? Oh, or totally. You, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, he, he's, he's not soft. He knows what he's doing. But he, he actually delivered an interview a few years ago where he said pretty much verbatim that he said, people think that I'm not in on the joke. <laughs> people think I don't realize how shit these films are. <laughs> to be fair to make this guy, he went out there, won an Oscar, and he's just doing whatever he yeah. wants to do now. Just yeah. enjoying acting, I think. Pretty much. Getting paid. Steve, do you have one? Um, it'd probably have to be the Con Air 
It's not really a freak out, but it's the put the bunny back in the box. Oh yeah, it's controlled. It's, yeah, measures Put the bunny. Measured. No, I'm not even going to say that. It went weird straight away. I didn't realise Arnold Schwarzenegger was in Put the bunny back in the box. In the box. <laughs> Alex, what was right, uh, For me, it's it's from that vampire film. I don't think I've even seen it all the way oh, Vampire's Kiss. Vampire's Kiss, where he's just uh, talking to someone about the alphabet, and he just recites the entire alphabet in this just like crazy, crazy way. Man, it is glorious. And he just keeps going higher and higher and higher. And it is, I've watched it, must be like at least 50 times. And it is, yeah. <laughs> memorable I, stuff I would say my favourite Nick Cage meltdown is probably the one that he had in real life around <laughs> the noughties uh, <laughs> now I'm talking about when he pissed away like 150 million oh, in a yeah. matter of like about 5 years did he? Uh, yeah, yeah buying yeah. Right, I'm going to recite some of the stuff that he bought right and <laughs> this list is just bonkers right 4 luxury yachts 30 classic motorbikes 50 exotic cars, including nine Rolls Royces and a £1 million Ferrari Enzo, over 50 expensive rare artworks, a private Gulfstream jet, a 40-acre $7 million island, 15 estate homes across the world, two European castles, including an $8 million one in Bath, (laughs) a famous haunted house (laughs) for about $3.45 million, uh, a collection of shrunken pygmy heads, the very first Superman comic for about $2 million, a nine-foot pyramid tombstone, (laughs) an octopus, a shark, a crocodile, two albino king cobras, and a shitload of dinosaur skulls. Weirdly, he didn't buy a tank for the for the octopus yeah. so it's just out the, ma- the maddest thing of all that is those two albino king cobras that you bought were for quote protection <laughs> <laughs> that is the best reason I mean to be, it sounds like you got value for money he bought a lot he, he stretched know, yeah, that yeah. 150 million yeah. well I mean million. the thing is is that because um, didn't his manager sue him years later and said they hadn't been paid properly and it, he had to foreclose several of the properties and he's been struggling to sort of like fix his finances since and yeah, I think is that's that why he's doing so much shit I think that's the reason why he just he appears just in loads a big spending spree I think so yeah I don't want to <laughs> you know to, uh, obviously, you don't want the slander, but uh, I, I, you know, let we judge. Wouldn't you want those things as well? I mean, I'd like all of those. Yeah, things. I would like I don't all think of those things. things. Yeah. I, I mean, don't want if I won list. the lottery tomorrow, I know exactly what I'm going to buy. Yeah, I mean, if list. you would have asked me that yesterday, I would have no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I'm like, yeah. You didn't know you wanted two albino king cobras for protection, but now <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking one. But you know, <laughs> why, not? why not? Why I mean, not? I'm intrigued by the nine foot tombstone, like for himself, or yeah. did, he, did he take <laughs> someone else's? <laughs> well, he was really tall in um, in Ghost Rider, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, I'm just—it's not really a freak well, out. But he has a little. A good one as well. Isn't it? Yeah, but I don't remember mm. what freak out he had in that. Uh, uh, every time he transformed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so most of Ghost yeah, 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 yeah. I was just going to do that really weird lowrider scene again from Gone in 60 Seconds. You love Gone in 60 yeah, Seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it with you and Gone in 60 Seconds? It's just a great film, man. It's a great film originally and then it's a great remake. And when they're listening to the song together, yeah, yeah. and, up, and, and he, he makes everyone be absolutely quiet and he yeah, does that yeah, weird finger hands, thing yeah. at the yeah, end. He's quite memorable, then. isn't he? He's yeah. a memorable actor. And then yeah. it's like, oh, away we go. I don't know what he says, but... Well, thank you very much no for that, guys. And thank you once again, Alex. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so now on to the bulk of the show. This week's film, as mentioned before, is Mandy. I don't know how well this is going to go. Mandy. <laughs> 
Nice. Yeah, that was nice. good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so uh, this week's film has been picked out of the hat. I should say, so this week's film on trial is Mandy. Does it come and give without taking? Or does it kiss you and stop you from shaking? <laughs> We're going to find <laughs> we'll out. <see. laughs> right. um, so this film has been picked out of the hat at random and so have the roles. So in the role of defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list will be me and Dave. Now, Dave is just like Nicolas Cage's Red Miller. He looks like he's had about 40 plus years of hard work, heavy metal, and drug use, which has slowly chipped away at his sanity. Um, it's only, only 32. <laughs> I know, but you look like you've had 40 plus years. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just like Linus Roach's cult leader, Jeremiah Sand. Pretty weird. I perform shitty music, and I love getting naked in front of my friends. <laughs> At least half uh, of that was true. <laughs> yeah, uh, unbelievably so. Uh, and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on their shit list will be Alex and Steve. Now, Alex is just like Richard Brake's chemist entering this last week of a school term. He looks like he's ready to have a breakdown or go on an LSD binge or most likely probably both, both. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it, both. Yeah. and Steve is just like Bill Duke's character Carruthers an angry embittered hermit who definitely looks like he collects weapons <laughs> now, just like real court advocates we will be making the best case for our roles these may or may not be our genuine opinions though so do stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear our real thoughts which means this week Ozzy has the most important role as he will be playing the judge now Ozzy is a little bit like those S&M demon bikers he wears a lot of black and his house is a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> he's trying to fix your sound right now. <laughs> he's crying slowly as well. Uh, I know he's been doing a lot of work at his house recently, but just uh, maybe work a bit harder, eh? Um, <laughs> now, uh, Ozzy must decide which list the film should be placed on hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion, which is good because he's never seen the film, uh, just like every other film that we put on trial, <laughs> regardless of his role. Uh, now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Now here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters of the film. This week it has landed on Alex. So how would we okay. like Alex to read out the synopsis? Uh, I think it's got to be Cage. Uh, yeah. But yeah. How about full on meltdown Cage? Yeah, full okay. On right, yeah. Full okay, on meltdown. Tie in with your film face. Okay, Cage yeah, no. at his cagiest. <laughs> or uncaged. Or okay. uncaged. Okay. I'm just going gonna, gonna to try and steadily build it as it goes on. Okay. The enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchman <laughs> propelling a man into a spiraling surreal rampage of vengeance. <laughs> very good, man. Very oh, good. That was, amazing. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, was actually <laughs> like surprisingly good. Yeah. Oh my god, that was brilliant. Yeah, well done, Thanks, Cuff, so that was brilliant. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so I'm lost now. Yeah, so without further hesitation, I suppose, Ozzy, would you like to kick off proceedings, just, please? Let me just compose myself. That was brilliant. Well <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, well, like you said, I, I don't know anything about it. So can I hear maybe from the defense, give me a little rundown of, of how, how we're going with this? How does, how does it, how does it well, start? A little plot synopsis, maybe, like, better than the... Um, 
you know, a little bit more flesh out what uh, Nicholas Uncage has just told me. And then, okay, yeah. okay. Well, basically, what I'll tell you, this is a it, this is a film that's hard to kind of put into a category. It's a very strange film. It's a very trippy film. You know, the theme of LSD runs through it, and my God, you can see that in every frame of the film almost. <laughs> it starts off uh, Nicholas Cage living this quite idealistic life. You know, he's uh, with his girlfriend. They're kind of reclusive. They're kind of living in the woods. It's set in like 1983, I believe, in the Shadow Mountains. They're living a very reclusive life. He works as a as a lumberjack. lumberjack. Uh, she works as a cashier at a local gas station. But is he okay? He's, he's okay. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> works all night and he sleeps all night. <laughs> but then he's, uh, this is shattered by this kind of leader of a Charles Manson-esque cult who, as he's driving his van, uh, sees her walk into work and takes a shine to her and asks his henchmen to abduct her. They summon these LSD-ridden bikers that are have lost all <laughs> comprehension of reality to abduct her, bring her to him. He tries to make a move. Ultimately, she rejects him and laughs and humiliates him. So he kills her in front of Nicolas Cage. Okay, fueling this revenge cycle that then seems to happen after that. So, and it's it's a very trippy film. Like I say, it seems like a revenge saga, but that's not exactly what you get. It's very artistically done it's it's not your average revenge film by any stretch of the imagination it's got elements i would say of kubrick i think i don't want to oversell it but it's got elements of kubrick i would say and the lighting is very reminiscent of dario argento uh, very much like suspiria uh gav do you want to add anything yeah i'd say it was like taken directed by pablo picasso (laughs) (laughs) alex would you agree a little bit yeah but that doesn't sound good (laughs) Uh, okay well uh, so yeah so i'm so i'm taking out this very trippy it's very arty would you would anyone from the prosecution want okay. to agree with that or? so you know like D- dave you know and i know he's just sort of running through the plot but that that was a very that makes it sound like it gets set up quickly and this is the problem with the film is quite boring all of the way through and it does not get set up quickly so when you know he's talking about how they live in this sort of you know it's, it's said before they live this enchanted life that's not really set up. The, the, character, the, the two characters aren't set up very well at all. And it's because the film's trying to be unconventional. But actually what it does is it doesn't do proper characterization. It just doesn't do the basics that it needs to do. There's just these very long bits where we sort of get introduced to the two characters. But there's these long monologues. And the film's very monologue heavy all the way through it. You know? And I know that's, you know, sometimes unconventional films are monologue heavy. But also sometimes that's just a lazy filmmaking. You just fill up a good old five minutes with a you know, weird shot and a huge huge long monologue and this is what the film does all of the way through you don't really get to know the ins and outs of their relationships you just get these very long shots of andrea risborough sort of looking into the camera nicholas cage looking at her some music playing um you know okay music but you know i mean that the scene never goes anywhere and it like it just carries on carries on carries on and then things start happening so then you know she gets abducted by cultists or something like that but the first half of the film particularly is extremely boring it's it's arty but it's kind of like just that arty without any real substance behind it it's art, just art for art's sake yeah it's just art for art's sake it's just smoke and mirrors but well, Alex, like, wouldn't you say that like the second half of the film where a blood-soaked nicholas cage stabbing people in the throat makes up for the first half of the film that's 23 minutes of just uh, what's happening. Yeah. Oh, the beginning. Yeah, the and, beginning. And also, like, the next bit, that you, you are already... You, you, the, impotent, the impetus is gone in the film a little bit. By that point, when stuff does start happening... You don't even know who Nicolas Cage is. You have no idea who this guy is. And he sort of just appears halfway through the film. Most of the shots have been lingering on Andrea Risborough. You still don't know who she is or their relationship. And then Nick mm-hmm. Cage comes in 
And then he just goes on this blood-soaked rampage. And then tonally, the film just goes way off because you go from like this sort of like very arty loving couple horrendous things happening. And then it almost becomes like a, like this weird sit comedy where like Nick Cage is playing it for laughs. Like he has his meltdown <laughs> in his underpants in the toilet. Right. Where it's just no, a shot. <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. It's true, but I wouldn't film it and show people. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did one. <laughs> you shouldn't have. That's what I'm saying. I know, I know. <laughs> but, it, it, and it just goes on and on. And again, it's trying to be this kind of like, you know, this Dario Argento, I will, I will go with that. But I think he, I think if Suspiria is anything to go by, that's not a good comparison at all. It's just a long shot of him drinking, going, ah, not being directed well. And when Nick Cage isn't directed well, it's just an absolute mess. Uh, Alex, did you say impetus or impotence? I said impotence first, and then I tried to say impotence. Because <laughs> no, I thought you were really talking about the bit where she laughs at uh, Linus Roach's knob. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to say I, I, I disagree when Alex says that it, it goes off tone. It goes off. It doesn't. It just switches tone. It's okay. very calculated. It's very deliberate, but it does completely switch tone. You go from this kind of idealistic lifestyle that they're living in the woods kind of secluded kind of reclusive to going to the the blood and gore fest that the film then becomes i disagree that this director does not handle cage well i think he handles cage better than anyone has in the last 20 years by letting him go full cage this is the one of the first times you've seen a film where nicholas cage yes has his classic meltdowns his classic you know spree his classic staring at the camera but it's not out of place for the first time in, in 20 odd years. It's not out of place with the tone of the film, with the way the film is shot, with the way he is directed. It fits. It works. And it makes sense for the first time in a long time that Nicolas Cage, yeah, it would make sense that he has these meltdowns. I think the director harnessed Cage really well and the first time has really used the actor to his full potential. Okay. In terms of the tonal shift, would you say on a scale of... Um Lion King to Man <laughs> on Fire. Brilliant. How big a, how big a Sorry, shift I'm, I'm, is I'm the... just trying to get my head around your, uh, <laughs> your graph here. So, Lion King... <laughs> Lion King is relatively, that is relatively big, stable. Yeah, to Man on Fire. <laughs> relatively stable. <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to, I mean, like... to, 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 Ma, to Man, Man on Fire, fire which is, is a dramatic shift. I would say it's, it's more than either of them. Even, uh, yeah, I think... So, way it, beyond. It, it goes straight from sort of art house. And it's interesting, that's the thing. I actually found the first bit interesting because I thought, where's this going to go? Because you know it's going to get a bit violent it's going to get horror but how is it going to shift into that and it just it just 90 degree angle it's not uh you know dave says switch and i kind of agree with that but it's just like a, it's jarring but it's not out of the blue it's an horrific act of violence that triggers that switch it makes sense in a way yeah. it's not. Yeah. i'm just thinking about austin's scale is your is your scale sort of <laughs> um, like simba's dad is murdered at the beginning but then in man on fire the daughter is murdered later on, so is that the scale there? It's like kind of well, essentially parent was, death or child death or... I meant about a tonal shift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, you know, because the Lion King, if anything, takes a more happy tone mm. by the end. After, after, after his dad's been killed. <laughs> his dad is killed, but that's a, you know, does, a story of growth. Then, yeah. then he meets a, a real and a warhog. A real story of growth. I did not the think King. when we started doing Mandy. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> but then man of, comparing it somehow to the Lion King. But then I man love of, your comparisons. <laughs> but Man on Fire does have a very distinctive switch. An yeah. act of, a horrific act of violence that causes that mm-hmm. switch. It, yeah, it's close to Man on Fire if that's the scale. And it's very, very hard. Okay. But Sorry. if it turns into a comedy... It doesn't That's turn into a comedy. Top. It's 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 just it's bizarre. It's mm. not funny. It's just 
weird and because so many characters in this film are dropping lsd lsd is kind of a big plot point it's what turned the uh, the bikers which help abduct mandy it's what turned them into what you know gavi mistook them for demons at one point yeah, yeah. they are virtually yeah. demonic just because their minds have been so warped and it, it does play a big part in it, but it's like you're on this lsd trip with him for the second half of the film and it's beautifully shot and it, it does feel very trippy and it's purposeful how does the i'm gonna just throw this out one whoever comes home first how does the trippiness come across here so does nicholas cage end up getting drugged with lsd what how how, how yeah, come he does how come there is he a, a voluntarily uh, so lsd is like a big thing in this the, the cult is essentially fueled by lsd they have their own chemist played by richard brake who they have in like a shed um at, at the back of the compound i think and he is designing their own lsd for them and i don't know whether they're selling that or they're making money from that or, or whatnot and mm. they use that as part of i don't know their they're rituals because they the, give it to Mandy, uh, don't they? This is mm. all making the film sounds like it makes a lot more sense than it does when you're watching I, I, I it. I think LSD, LSD is a big point. No, no, it, LSD is just LSD, used to make it all weird. I think, no, it's, it's not an actual point as in like it, like, anything happens I, I disagree you know sense. when they summon the bikers from their from their hovel basically the, it's the horn of Abraxas they call it Abraxas was this demonic entity that Carl Jung said he encountered while on LSD and he wrote about it it's, it's all interlinked it's all it, there is very much the LSD theme coursing through this film so what's and the, what's the point in the theme then? for the I mean, visuals the... It, the LSD theme mm. the reason why it's so important is for the visual aspects the the, the final shot of the film is essentially uh, it looks like an alien landscape Steve described it as kind of a rock album album uh cover and it is like a 1970s rock album it's like you got like two planets in the sky two moons two suns and it's um it is like a rock album cover and it's very reminiscent of one of mandy's paintings that nicholas cage is obviously thinking about at that point on his lsd trip so it's just basically okay. personalizing his revenge saga he's come to a conclusion he's thinking about her and the paintings she used to do but he's he's tripping is that that's not yeah. actually there you know? okay okay cool. but i'll just come back to the fact that it gets boring so you have this you have this lsd trippiness which i would i wouldn't agree is particularly shown well throughout the film it's just there because it sort of makes sense that these odd things are happening but it's very boring so you have these long shots then you have these trippy things happening and it's all slow moving and it's and the thing about this film is it's actually insanely conventional it's a very conventional story you've just got a main character living happily Main, something terrible happens to main character. Main character exacts revenge okay. on everyone. And it's the damsel story as well. It's, yeah, and, and mm. revenge. You know, you know, so it's actually very conventional. It just tries to sort of, it's smoke and mirrors. It tries to distract you by showing these long, trippy shots without any substance behind it. Okay, go ahead. I, I would say that um, if you've ever seen anybody take LSD, it is quite boring, you know. <laughs> no, uh, but I was going to say that I think that LSD is like the fuel for this film. You know, as Dave said before, right, the bikers, they become these sort of like demonic, like soulless forces after years of taking LSD. The cult leader himself is driven like borderline insane because of, of LSD. That's what fuels his sort of religion. And Nicholas Cage, this character he's, he's living quite a quaint quiet life at the beginning of the film with mandy and as he gets more sort of manic you, we see that is is caused well, you couldn't say it, it's caused by but it's definitely fueled by lsd you know like he kind of goes and gets a weapon from his friends carruthers he then decides to enact revenge Not before he's done lsd no 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 he does lsd uh, yeah so he does lsd later on and then after that it's just like a different character this guy's like unhinged oh, he's no, but, uh, but before that that does that that's 
thing that doesn't make sense in the film is Nick Cage is a forester. Do you know what I mean? He cuts down trees, yeah, yeah. right? And all of a sudden, considering as well, you don't know anything about him. He just starts going on this rampage and seems like an incredibly good fighter. I mean, I know maybe he's got some muscles from cutting down trees. I know what I mean. Trees he, don't fight back. Though. Trees don't fight back. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and, and his legs seem to be able to. He's like a ballet dancer. Never watched skin. Okey Doke before. He <laughs> <laughs> could or, fight for days. <laughs> the Revenge of the Forest. Or Lord of the Rings. Look at those ants. Yeah, I was going to say oh, yeah, yeah. ants fight back. That's true. Not in this film. <laughs> but he, he's like an unstoppable machine. And that's what's a bit boring about the revenge, actually. As he starts taking on, it's like one by one. And actually, the, the threat, he's told by um, his friend who gives him the crossbow. Carruthers. Bill Duke. He's, he's told by him, you're going to die. And at no point do you actually ever feel the danger that he is going to die. Like he has some, and there are some little good fights and there's a chainsaw fight. And I'm never going to lie when I, you know, wouldn't mind a chainsaw fight. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. <laughs> but actually he just plods along and he walks really slowly and there's this momentous music going on and it's a really long shot. He has, he kills someone horrifically. Walk, 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 find someone else, kill, walk, walk, walk. And you're just bored. You don't really care about whether the LSD is fueling it or not. You're just very bored watching I, I always argue that you do think that he's in peril sometimes. You know, like he's, Wait, when? He, when he's chainsaw nailed. fight for one. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely the chainsaw fight. Oh, well, you know he's going to win. You know, he just falls you, over. You know. But the thing is, isn't it's, 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 a, it's a film, isn't it? You know he's going to win. You know he's going to save the day. Or you know he's going to get to the big boss but at the end got anyway. But there's peril. Well, you know, yeah, well, if he just died like three quarters of the way through the film. The film's got to make you believe that he could die. And you don't when you're watching it. I don't know. I mean, there are bits in it where you're like, oh shit, he's going to get battered here. And and the, his, the, the deaths that he causes, a lot of them are very sort of sloppy. Like, they could have been done by a, a, forester. a forester. Yeah. Really? You know, like it's, it's not like kind of, um, you know, diehard style death, but you know, when like he's got one of the biker uh, henchmen leaning over him and he just kind of just stabs him in the throat and then it pours all over him. You know, that's not a neat death. That's a horrific death. It goes all over him. And, you know, I imagine if he was going to kill somebody, he'd probably want to keep it tidy, keep it quiet. You know, he wouldn't want to do it in that way at all. The, de- the death seemed clumsy and just like, it's haphazard. Like, like anybody's doing them. Yeah, but speaking about that specific bit, um, the gore in that is just too much. When he slits his neck open, it's it's ridiculously horrific. Yes. Yeah. Like, why was that needed? Like, if you're on LSD, the world is scary enough. <laughs> is it uncharacteristically gory compared to the rest of the it, film, or it, is that just setting it up for what comes on? Just makes it funny a little bit. And you know, when he gets the blood, like when the guy's blood goes in his face, and later on, he kind of does like a almost like a sort of kung fu. He like snaps some guy's neck and goes like ah, and looks at the looks at the it camera. Just he goes, <laughs> but you know, like, and you do think, oh, that's trying to be funny, but that doesn't make any sense with the whole. If we had those, why was I having like a thirty-second long shot of looking at Andrea Risborough's eyes slowly <laughs> come towards the camera out of a pool of water? Fair enough. And then we've got what, like, you know, thirty minutes later, we've got Nick Cage going, oh, look, he's, he stuck a knife in that guy's neck, and blood went all over him. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't find that funny. I didn't think it was a funny part of the film. It was, it was horrifically violent. This second half does go down the horrifically violent route, but there was something Alex touched upon there that I did want to bring up. The music in this is fantastic. All original music composed by the late uh, Johan Johansson, and it is superb. It starts off kind of, it's set in the 1993, like I say, it starts off with like a very like Gary Newman synth vibe, very Tangerine Dream sort of synth vibe. As the film progresses, as his mental state starts to deteriorate, you get more heavy metal. It sounds like classic Black Sabbath by the end of the film as he's uh, going to confront Linus Roach's character. And the the transition with the music again, it moves, it's the switch in tone, but it happens more gradually with the music, I would say, than it does visually. 
but it still switches and moves along at the same pace. I 100% agree. That is one of the things the director does superbly in this. Like the tonal shift in the music is is so gradual and you don't really notice it. That by the end, it sounds like a completely different soundtrack. At the beginning, it's sort of like Twin Peaks, Silent Hill. And by the end, it's like, I don't know, like a, a Black Sabbath album. You it know, it's, it's completely different. He spent too much time, I think, making sure that all the shots were perfect and the music, you know, I'd say the music builds well. He didn't spend any of the time on the basics you need in a film, like characterization, uh, making sure the plot's pacey, not putting in just insanely large amounts of monologue. You, it, the, the, and this isn't a guy who's directed much before. I don't think you can mess around with the structure of a film like he has, unless you've got some really good understanding of what makes a film entertaining to watch. And I don't think he has. I think he's messed about without really knowing what he's doing. Okay. Okay, did you say you have something to jump in there with today, or are we just going to say yes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. Um, so I think we've touched quite, and everybody seems to agree here. There's a huge tonal shift in the in the film. Um, you know, we we there seems to be a disagreement between whether it's um, really well fleshed out story wise. You guys uh, on on the defense seem to think that it follows flows quite well. It's quite. Uh, you know, it's quite easy to follow in the fact that he's he's taken revenge um, through this uh, drunken uh, rage. But in terms of, and I think we sort of agree here that it's shot very well and the music um, matches, is subtle enough through the, the change. That's why I'm taking out of this. Okay, that... sorry, can I just, it, it is shot well, but like that's boring after a while when you're just constantly having, that's a pretty shot, that's a pretty shot. The film's like sags under the weight of its own pretty shots. But it, don't you think that yeah, it, like it starts out, like, so yeah, this is what separates it for, you know, one, any sort of generic straight to DVD dad revenge action film that comes out these days is that it starts off quite beautiful and it is very well shot and it is sort of almost like a weird sort of trancey love story slash kidnapping <laughs> um, in that order. And and then all of a sudden there is this mad tonal shift and it is this sort of graphic psychedelic revenge film and it just come out of nowhere. I think if it just would have been that, if it would have started with that, it would have been that tempo the entire way, it would have got boring. But the tempo... Sorry, but it's uh, lumberjack to Chuck Norris in like ten yeah. minutes. It's just yeah, it's yeah. really weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I admit that the characterization of Nicolas Cage could have been a bit better, but I think that they were going for that sort of like, as Steve just said, Chuck Norris, that sort of Clint Eastwood classic character. Not a lot of characterization to him. He's just you know like a quiet man who's defined by his actions. That has like a romantic love story. Like you never saw that with the Clint Eastwood characters, like the man with no name. Well, I don't know. Why do you think he wore that poncho all the time? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he just had an erection the whole time. Like, what are you going with that? Yeah, I mean, that was the joke. See, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I ruined it. I wasn't being as pointed as the erection. But you know, like saying about like, Man on Fire, you know, when like the tone kicks up and it's like, it, but the tempo doesn't, the pace doesn't match that shift then yeah. it's still slow even if you do have these horrific deaths it's still very very slow and dull would you say um it's as stylized shot wise as as man on fire obviously there's all of the weird like uh, subtitles I mean, and stuff crocodile. it's it different. different different, different but... i'll see all i'm gonna say is if you would have watched this when you were 14 it would have got you into photography big time yeah. <laughs> just, just like, like that's, that's funny because i was just about to say do you think this is uh, <laughs> as beautifully shot as tree of life 
no. <laughs> and then would you say it's as boring as Tree of Life? I did know Tree of Life was going to come up at some point. <laughs> I, I bet you thought it was going to be me that said it. <laughs> I did, I did. I did. The, the, the difference, if we must talk about Tree of Life again, the, the difference between this and Tree of Life is Tree of Life had substance behind it. This is just... Like and and th- this guy is a p- good cinematographer, right? And he should be in charge of camera, and he should be in charge of music, but he should not be anywhere near the script because the yeah, script no. is dull. Is this is essentially what I said about Terence Malick when we did Tree of Life? Oh, yeah, I never. <laughs> hey, it would, it's essentially all all shits have some substance as well, but at the end of the day, they are just shits. I mean, you, you <laughs> waste. I, I defer to your expertise in that. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's about fucking time the Tree of Life got another slay. And I heard you put a sly dig about Suspiria in there that. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that lighting is just copied, and I didn't like it in Suspiria, and I like it less in this film, uh, if that's possible. I mean, it's beautiful in Suspiria. I think it's a good homage in this. I think he does use lighting uh, very effectively. Uh, you know, the reds that he uses, the sort of red backlights, when the demon S&M bikers are first introduced when they sort of appear out of the woods and you've got that red backlight I think that's pretty eerie and then the next shot you have is like in the bedroom and there's this flickering electricity and you just see like snap snippets of them clawing towards the bed trying to abduct Mandy I think that, that's pretty pretty terrifying it, it, yeah. it is in bits and in the small doses it would have been more terrifying but it, it isn't it's just overused if if you had um, I'm going to throw this out to you guys in a prosecution if there were three ways that you could make this film better what would you do? I'd put some substance into the characters <laughs> I'd, I'd tell you who the characters were I did not have cast Nick Cage and taken an hour and 12 minutes to get I, to any interesting parts I don't well. I think Nick Cage was lost in this film I think you're saying that he was unchained I think he was just like it, no one knew how to deal with him and so there's, so they there's gave lots him some of, LSD yeah. <laughs> there's run. lots of scenes uh, where he's oh, just sort of I'm gonna, staring I, I, I I'm going to throw the same question to you guys yeah, I beg to differ that Nicolas Cage was lost I think he's right at home <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the kind of film he's been waiting for where like I say his, his manic behaviour doesn't feel odd in this film it kind of fits with the theme the kind of jarring bizarre themes unfolding before you it fits and Nicolas Cage works and the director knew how to use Nicolas Cage the best of his abilities like psychedelic horror is Nick Cage's genre I mean like (laughs) 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 I mean you heard about this before Um, I mean who just who knew that this would just mesh so well together Nick Cage's acting and this genre I think it works incredibly well it's only when he's in that bathroom scene when you see him going like and doing all of that or when he's tied up and and he's and he's and yeah. he's you know in rage, but the rest of it, like when he's seeing the LSD, uh, the drug pusher, the drug pusher's doing all the acting. Every shot goes back to Nick Cage, and he's got this same expression of like, I don't really know what the fuck's going on here, as as no one does, and everyone else actually all the way through it is doing more of the acting actually oh, I disagree. than Nick Cage. I, what about that scene where Mandy dies in front of him? I think that that is some of the oh, best acting that Nick gagged. Cage has he's done. He's literally gagged. For decades. Yeah, for decades. Honestly, like, that, that he's acting and he's there just going is out. incredible. I, no, he's, just, he's just screaming. That's not really this acting. This is a is genuinely it? good performance from Nicolas Cage. It allows him to be him and it still it works at the same time. Yeah, no. But I, I do think you make a good point about the other the supporting cast. Richard Brake, I think, actually does a very good yeah. job. Underrated character actor. Linus Roach, I'm not really familiar with him, but I actually thought he did a really good job here. He plays the cult leader, and he does have, like Alex has keep mentioning, uh, monologues. The monologues tend to be his. He does have a lot of long speeches to get out, but his performances while he's delivering oh, those yeah. are very compelling. Very you can creepy. see why this cult of personality has kind of formed around him. It makes sense. 
And uh, oh, sorry, Steve. But did you not think that the cult of personality was a little bit too on the nose for Charlie Manson? It's. Uh, I think it's a very I pertinent nod in the direction yeah. of Charlie Manson. Mm. It yeah. was a bit. It was a bit. Mm, it was a bit too much in for for my taste. I, I disagree. I think it was. If it, if you're going to make a nod, if you're going to make a gesture or reference something, go whole hog reference it. Yeah, I, I kind of would have liked it to him to be more original. It kind of, it did actually yeah, feel a little Steven, bit like, like Charles Manson, like yeah. failed musician turns cult yeah. leader. But I, I but. The thing is, is that that could have weighted any other actor down. Like a lesser actor could have just done a, a Charles Manson imp- impression, but Linus what Roach did, what went. What did he in do? It. Oh, um, come on! You, you're not saying that it was unnerving and creepy. I'm saying it was not unnerving and creepy. I'm saying because his because <laughs> his dialogue was so much. This film, as well, is two hours. I mean, okay. it's two hours. It's too long, and so like it's not creepy by the end when he's actually Nick Cage's. You know, comes in spoiler, but comes in to kill him at the end, and you're just like, please, just. Fucking kill him! Please don't have a I don't let him a talk. Death. Oh, he don't let him talk. No, no, no. Hang on, okay, well, you're rushing past that this. point. Don't let him talk because they have another. He has another long monologue while Nick Cage just stares at him again, and you're just like, no, no. Oh, but you said you wanted characterization. Well. This is you seeing into the character. You know, he starts off hubristic and kind of you. You can't touch me. I am your god. I don't kneel before you. And by the end of it, as Nicolas Cage gets closer to him, he's begging for his life. You know, he's just like, I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything. And it's just the. What? the what does he say? You know full well what he says. <laughs> <laughs> he yes, offers to do anything. Absolutely anything. Absolutely. anything. Absolutely. On his knees yeah. in front of Nick Cage's crotch. While, <laughs> while Nick Cage is hugging his head. But within the space of, let's say, a minute of dialogue, he goes from hubristic, arrogant, narcissistic to completely broken and yeah. pleading it for his like life. It feels like a lot longer than a minute dialogue. It's, it's not, though. It's it feels not. like a hell of a lot longer. But that, that's one character, though. It's and not that it's many right characters in it, though. But like Nick Cage's character. Has and, nothing, has and no Mandy, character. the one who the yeah. film's named for, mm. not I mean, really her, explored her, enough. Her death, I actually thought was quite odd because she's burned, right? But you don't actually see her being burned. You see her just in a sack being burned. And so for a lot of the film, I was like, well, maybe she's not really, because you didn't see her actually die. Maybe she's not. And it's like, oh no, I mean, she did. It, it's weird, but it's weird for the film to pull a punch there. A little bit like Because Man that's a little bit like, well, yeah, it's Mandy on fire. <laughs> 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 she... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they come after oh, when they do. Ooh. She... Uh, because you don't see it and it's weird because the film is so gory it's weird that the actual event that triggers the whole thing is actually kind of like they pull the punch on that one and it's like well why don't you show mandy kind of dying horrifically and then that would kind of like set up the film you don't see it happening so i, I, I think was that was weird. more more powerful because because of how it was done uh, if it would have been any lesser film, they, I reckon that they would have used CGI. They would have just done a load of CGI fire, and you know, you or, or you wouldn't have seen Mandy burning. Well, Instead, her, it just would have been Nick Cage's reaction because she was all LSD'd up and she had a gag in her mouth. I assume, but the fact that the uh, the sack was was set on fire and you could see her moving around in the sack, and I just thought, you know, like it, it created a more of a sense of being like constricted and just, you know, I th- I thought it emphasized it a lot more. Mm. Okay, well, I feel like there's a whole host of things for me to try and digest here. I'm going to let you have a tiny little summary because then we're going to move on to a quiz so I can think about it. 
I, to, I was going to say one thing that hasn't been touched upon is the use of practical effects, which I thought was superb in this film. I, like, I haven't seen practical effects this good. What year in, did in a this while. come out in? Sorry, last year, two thousand eighteen. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so so it could easily have been done in special. Easily, effects. it could have easily done CGI, but they didn't. Yeah. They chose to use practical effects, and some of the death scenes in it were absolutely incredible. The, as Dave mentioned before, there's a chainsaw fight, which is pretty impressive. Uh, there's there's a scene Linus Roach's character spoiler, but you know we warned you get his head crushed at the end and his eyes pop out very very gruesome but you know practical effects once again very impressive there's a scene later on when one of the cult members gets set on fire and you don't see this a lot but it's actually a man in a in a fire costume getting actually set on fire i mean you, you haven't seen that since like what the 80s the thing you know like the 90s whatever these are like this is a dying art and it's brought back to life in such vivid fashion in this and it's very impressive to watch i uh, i did quite like some of the practical effects in it I yeah they were good yeah. <laughs> on a scale of uh jurassic park to <laughs> terminator the thing the thing well i've not seen the most recent one i was gonna pick something with like less good uh, less cool um, oh, jurassic park had great practical effects i it? thought I, uh, yeah but it's got cgi in it as well okay oh, okay one. what about from terminator one until terminator genesis okay yeah, yeah. oh my god yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I, it's I very much in the terminator uh, one camp yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also well, think that um, Lannis Roach being in it, they've alluded to it earlier, um, it, he is the son of William Roach, yeah, who Ken plays Ken Barlow in Coronation Street. <laughs> and I would just love to see that prequel to this film where Ken Barlow <laughs> goes in to the cults to plead with his son <laughs> to come back home to the couples in Coronation Street. I think it's a bit where he back. kicks him out. <laughs> ends up in a bag on fire. <laughs> Fantastic! I don't know where to go with it. Can somebody do me a quiz so that I can have a think? Yeah. Yes. 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 I will do a quiz. quiz. Is it where you did you do this today? Uh, I did do it today. Yeah. Uh, It's very slapdash, but I'm quite happy with how it came out in the end. Uh, This is called uh, I don't know, um, caged or uncaged, and this is a quiz all about Nicolas Cage. Uh, Some of the questions are quite difficult. I want you to all buzz in though. Uh, Any people who don't buzz in will be penalised. Okay. Penisized. Penisized. (laughs) Uh, okay, right. Question number one. Last year, Nicolas Cage voiced uh, comic book heroes in two animated movies at the box office. What were they? Buzz. Beep. Uh, Steve? Steve. Spider-Man. Full title? Uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, go on, yeah. And, and, and what's the other one? Incredibles 2, 3. No. Incredibles, whatever. <laughs> Stop saying Incredibles. No, it was, wrong. Uh, was it Teen Titans? Yeah, t- full yeah, title? Was. Teen Titans, go to the movies. Well done, Dave. Okay, so point each for you and Steve. Ooh. Okay, uh, he played Superman in Teen Titans, go to the movies. Cage was also lined up to play Superman in The Abandoned Superman Lives, but who was going to direct that film? If you haven't seen the photo shoot for The Abandoned Superman Lives, it is hilarious. It's <laughs> Nicolas Cage with like long locks in, in this really shit tight Superman it, yeah. costume. <laughs> it's a really good film because um, it was written by Kevin Smith and it was directed by a very famous yeah, yeah, director yeah. who was probably better known for directing Batman. Dave? Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Well done. Really? <laughs> yes. Cool. Uh, Cage did eventually go on to play a live action comic book hero, but what was that hero? Was... Steve? Uh, Ghost Rider. Well done. 
I would have also have accepted Skeleton Bike Man, which, <laughs> which is what Ozzy called him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Skeleton Bike Man, yeah. Okay, uh, Skeleton Bike Man or Ghost Rider actually produced a sequel, surprisingly, in what? 2011. Skeleton Bike Man 2. <laughs> the second Bikening. Now, what other vehicle-based film did Cage appear in that year? Gone in 60 seconds. Right, uh, hey, didn't buzz. <laughs> no, I could eat a peach for hours. Uh, 2011. Yeah, um, buzz. Yes, uh, left behind. No, no he's in a plane. No, no, it's uh, he's, he's in a car. And he does a lot of this. Imagine if Steve could drive. This is what he, this is what you might describe as. Oh, driving. buzz. Go on, Steve. Drive angry. They're well done. Oh. <laughs> okay, talking about Cage starring car-based films, Ozzy. Cage appeared in <laughs> Gone in 60 Seconds in 2000. But which British actor played the film's villain? Buzz. Buzz. Stay again? No, it was, that was oh, me. Oh, it was, it was uh, Chris Reckleston. Well done, yes. Oh, Chris shit, I was going to say Vinnie Jones. Um, <laughs> well, Vinnie Jones was in Alex, in so in you it. can have another point. Hey. <laughs> okay, uh, can I get a point if I tell you the character that Vinnie Jones played? Go on, yes. The Sphinx. Yes, well done. <laughs> what, other, what other film was Vinnie Grab Jones points, guys, where he's given them out. Where he doesn't have a uh, speaking... Buzz. He only speaks at the end. Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, X-Men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. X-Men 3 minus, Gossie, minus points Gossie, Gossie, Gossie. 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 Yeah. give me a point uh, uh, okay, I'll give you so a point. Number six, point I'll give you one number six <laughs> Christopher Eccleston famously starred as Doctor Who but how many times has Nicolas Cage played a Doctor out of the 100 films that he's been in <laughs> um, three well done wow. <laughs> three yeah yeah okay um, you know what three I do but I'm not going to mention them now because I mentioned them later on okay. Oh, okay. number seven Cage played Dr. Stanley Goodspeed in The Rock. It's one yeah. of them. Uh, which charismatic and handsome podcast favourite plays the villainous Captain Darrow? Oh. Buzz. To Dave. Tony Todd. Well done, Tony Todd. <laughs> hey, handsome, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. You know where you let me down that path. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number eight. Uh, Todd famously played handsome ghost Candyman who died from blood loss and bee stings. Cage suffered the exact same fate <laughs> at the end of which film? Buzz. Buzz. The Wicker Man. Well done, The Wicker Man, yes. The Beast! <laughs> okay, Cage starred in another reboot of a film that nobody asked for, Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> Well, who played the original Bad Lieutenant? Alex. Harvey Keitel. Well done. Hey. Keitel co-starred with Cage in which 2004 Disney hit? Ooh, You'd be wow. surprised that it was. Quite a big hit, so much so that they ordered the sequel. Buzz. Go on. M- Mulan. What? Mulan. M- no? What? <laughs> <laughs> who, who would you <laughs> play to Mulan? I just w- wish he had been. Um, I don't know. Uh, 2004. People say it's a bit of a rip-off of Indiana Jones. Buzz. Buzz. National treasure. National treasure. Well done. Okay. um, Next one. um, And it's which screen legend plays Dr. Emily Appleton Gates, Cage's mother in the sequel, National Treasure, Book of Secrets? I've actually seen that. Uh, Now, I mentioned her earlier when I said that Fast and Furious didn't have The Rock, but they got the (laughs) best thing. Buzz, 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 buzz. Dave? Helen Mirren. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I always get the two of them mixed up. (laughs) Uh, Get me The Rock. (laughs) If you can't get me The Rock, they can't be Helen Mirren. (laughs) Okay. uh, One of of Mirren's uh, most famous roles was in The Long Good Friday alongside Bob Hoskins. Hoskins co-starred with Cage in 1984's The Cotton 
Cotton Club, which was directed by Cage's uncle, who is... Francis Buzz. Ford Coppola. Oh, shit. Buzz. <laughs> Go on, Alex. Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Coppola also directed Cage in one of his most famous early roles, Peggy Sue Got Married. But who starts as Peggy Sue? Oh, um, I, I once mentioned Buzz. that I sounded like her when Buzz. I had a cold. Oh, no. I was going to say Nicolas Cage played both roles. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Kathleen Turner. Oh. Uh, uh, Kathleen Turner famously guest starred in Friends, as did Cage, Peer, and similar director DVD star Bruce Willis. Which 2007 <laughs> horror film did the pair both technically appear in? Technically or did... Well, uh, Bruce Willis starred in it. Nicolas Cage had a sort of cameo in oh. an advert that was in the film. Was? Oh. Yeah. Go 2007. On, six cents. Yeah. Six cents? No, no. 2007. Sure. Oh, okay. Bruce Willis. Yeah, it, it was originally supposed to be a tie-on film. One of the films was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, oh. And this film was directed oh. by Robert Rodriguez. Was it Planet Terror? Yeah, well done. Well done, Planetary. <laughs> okay, uh, Cage co-starred with which other frequent Robert Rodriguez collaborator in 1997's Con Air? Buzz. Dave. Danny Trejo. Well done. Hey. <laughs> I had to get that one. You are yeah, very yeah. good at this, Dave. Now, 16 and the last question. Talking about collaborations with other director DVD action stars in 1997, Cage appeared with John Travolta <laughs> in Face Off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, the magnetic boots the prisoners wear in Erewhon prison are recycled props from which previous film Buzz. that we put on trial <laughs> Dave yeah. Super Mario Brothers yeah well Dave's won that one he gets a Freddo and hey. the rest of you need to really pull up your socks I like that quiz though I like that quiz I love that quiz that like, rolls on from each other nice. <laughs> and uh, does anybody have any trivia about this film at all shit that's <laughs> <laughs> not trivia that's an opinion <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, so I, I, I did read in, an interview with the director who said that the idea for this film was that he wanted to make a, essentially a 1970s metal band album cover into a film and I reckon he did it yeah pretty much <laughs> bad, bad idea and he didn't do it was he <laughs> I, was, I thought I knew which way I was going to go then until that piece of trivia came out to be honest with you um, I don't know I think it's been a tough one it, I can occasionally get a bit bored with a with a slow film, but um, but equally, I was uh, I think I was very wrong with Man on Fire when I was um, like reviewing that one, and um, and I've since like I went back and looked at that and I thought oh, that that was oh, quite oh god damn it quite you know challenging in in reality and it was quite artsy. So and I think that if you don't have a film that really attempts to do something different, you're just going to end up with shitloads of Transformers, like one after the other, just like. Action set piece, action set piece, action set piece. So uh, I, I think I'm gonna. Do I'm gonna say sorry, Alex. I'm gonna let this one go onto the hit list oh. for being a little bit different. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Austin. Uh, honest opinions, I suppose. Um, Alex, I mean, I think uh, no, right? I'll, I'll try and I'll try and say it without being really angry and looking. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you'll be disappointed because I know what you mean. And I'd normally like films that are unconventional and trying to push, but I think this is just—it's actually very conventional. It's just trying to pretty it up in the on the outskirts by doing weird things that aren't yeah. actually unconventional. I don't think it's—I don't think you'll find it that unconventional. Okay, and stay. Um, it's definitely a film that I'm going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> um, 
uh, I appreciate, by the way, that you uh, came and filled in Joel's role, and uh, you didn't I know what film. Joel's role. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know what film we were doing until just before we started recording this. Uh, so well done. Uh, I I thought it was all right. You know, I can kind of. Uh, I think it could have gone any of the list, to be honest. I enjoyed parts of it. I also really didn't enjoy parts of it. I do think that it was a bit long drawn out at the beginning, but I do think that, you know, any film with Nicolas Cage in a chainsaw fight deserves to be on the hit list for that alone. So, <laughs> I don't know. I did, I, I did see that and I genuinely agree because it was, it was amazing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and Dave? Um, honestly, I don't know. I, d- <laughs> I don't know if I liked it or not. I'm really undecided on the fence. When you say it could go on either list, I I agree. I guess so. Uh, there's bits of it I liked, bits of it I didn't like. I'm with I'm in your camp on this one, Gav. I don't know if I liked it for well, the first time. I, mean, I really don't know. I'd be interested to see what you think, Ozzy. Actually, yeah, yeah. Well, now that I've heard everyone's opinions, I'm less keen to watch it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give it a watch and we'll see what happens. Well, should we see what the critics said? Okay, so is it higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was yesterday, which scored 56 out of 100 on Metacritic? It's Do you think it's higher, higher or lower? It's I'd got... say it's pretty much the same, to be I'd honest. I'd say it's higher. I'd say significantly higher. I'd, no, I'd yeah, say, I'd I reckon say it's higher. you get the right critics, they're going to love this. No, I'd say it's yeah. lower. I think critics can see through the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't think I don't think they can. <laughs> okay, well, Alex, you're going to be surprised. Dave is right. Uh, not just significantly, extremely high. Yeah, Ooh, 81 out of 100. Wow. Wow. Can yeah. you believe it? Shit. But, right, right, let's ask the real people, the people that matter, the people that go and pay to see these films. Uh, we put a poll up on Twitter <laughs> and asked our friends and followers which list they would place Mandy on. And what well, once again, incredibly tight, 51% decided to put it on the shit list. So mm. I think it is a very, very divisive film. And even when you watch mm. it, you probably don't even know if you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just before we call it a day, uh, I think it's time for a little bit of a caption contest. So what we do here is we take a screenshot of the film and we put it on Twitter and ask our friends and followers to provide a funny caption with the best one winning a frog-shaped chocolatey treat. Okay, so here I got a blood-soaked Nicolas Cage smiling maniacally looking out of his car window. And all you guys have got to do here is pick the funniest caption, starting with uh, number one, smile for the birdie. Uh, number two ghost rider uber uh, number three when you get an extra barbecue cup with your six piece uh, welcome to the inside of nicholas cage's head yeah uh, i've got quite it's, it's similar to the uber one hey i'm nick i'm me i'm your uber driver but this is your ride you want come some mints there's bottles of water back there hey hey you want to listen to some music let's play some fucking music <laughs> um, okay, uh, gone in six, six, six seconds. Hey. Tutti fucking fruity. Uh, <laughs> despite all this rage, he is still just Nicolas Cage. Nice, um, nice, nice, uh, nice rhyme. Nick- <laughs> that was clever. <laughs> uh, Nick Cage waiting for the football season to start again. <laughs> uh, hey. Do you like podcasts? You should totally check mine out. <laughs> it's just funny because that's what I reckon I look like when I'm telling people about films. <laughs> slightly, uh, slightly more blood. <laughs> uh, the long-awaited Criterion release of Face Off does include the deleted scene of Caster Choice post-surgery joyride. <laughs> 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 well hi there folks hey do you want to know what happens when you don't give your uber driver a five star rating <laughs> and uh, last one is hi i'm nick cage and welcome to my new
new YouTube channel, A Day in the Life of Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were some really good ones. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I like the simple Ghost Rider Uber. The very that, first yeah, Uber. Yeah, yeah. It set us up for a lot, a lot of laughs of afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I like the quite lengthy one, the lengthy Uber driver. Oh, yeah, the big yeah. run. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah, very that Cage. That would have yeah, been yeah. really good, delivered in the Uncaged. Yeah. All right, mate. All right. I tried. I tried. Okay, so we've got two toss up, Steve. You're the deciding vote which one? Steve. Uh, I preferred the longer, okay. the longer Uber one. Right, well, it's okay. You don't have to justify yourself. Okay, Just don't Steve. look at Alex. All right, all right. Uh, okay, so congratulations to our oh, good friend. <laughs> And fellow podcaster Corky Knievel, you have just won yourself a flippity Freddo. You must oh. be getting fat by now. <laughs> well, I can say that, but you say that, but I haven't sent a Freddo in about two months. Oh, right. I mean, oh, geez, I really, really, honestly, I really need to get on it. Yeah, I've been terrible. I'm really sorry. I, I've got backdated Freddos to yeah, Corky Knievel and the guys at there, Daniel. They must be about sixteen in my bag. Um, anyway, right. So just before we say goodbye, Austin. Um, did you want to talk about a podcast that you've listened to recently? Yeah, well, I've been um, been checking out people who uh, like the show on um, on Instagram quite a bit. So one of them is um, a show called Shit Showtime. It's uh, not too dissimilar to us, but it's uh, just two friends, Caleb and Emily, and they're uh, like little comedy podcasts where they um, sit down and talk about the movies they've been watching. It's um, it's pretty quite a lot like this at times. Yeah, it's a bit sort of chaotic and. Uh, they, but they deal with a new release and an old uh, film every month. Um, just two two friends, two mics, uh, and two films. How can we listen to them? Uh, they are on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, they're the same thing, Spotify. iTunes is gone now. That's something I should have brought up with you all. It's called Apple Podcasts now. Oh, right, okay. iTunes is all gone. But yeah, they're on all the usual places. Just type in Shit Showtime. They've got their own little website. Um, some good stuff. Um, the last one they did was uh, 32 Miles Per Hour Jurassic Park. That was good. Lovely stuff. Mm, Right. Well, be sure to check those out, guys. And just to say that next week's film has been picked out of the hat at random, and it is American Pie. And just like always, the roles have been picked out of random. So in defense is going to be Joel and Austin. In prosecution is going to be myself and Alex. And the judge is going to be Dave. And who knows, hopefully Steve might come along as well for the shits and giggles. So just to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this episode. Please remember to like, share and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your local cult about us. Just mm-hmm. spread the warm love that is Film Central in as many years as possible. And remember, check us out on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, so on. Films on Trial. Check us out on Apple Podcasts apparently now as well. And also, why don't you give our friend and lovely, lovely companion, Winston Sang, our graphic artist, a like on Twitter. He is at the underscore quicks. So that's it, everyone. Mandy is officially a hit and we'll be in your ears next week with American Pie. Goodbye. Goodbye.